This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's It's Rog, it's Wednesday, and it's a joy to be joined by a real hero of mine, a poet warrior who writes about human brokenness, hope, hopelessness, loneliness and love. Lyrics that are literary wonders, composed by a man of enormous empathy and sensitivity. Songs telling stories often seem so small and intimate yet broad and universally relatable at the same time. I grew up in Liverpool, England, but the epigraph of my memoir contains his lyrics. I used to want to be a real man. I don't know what that even means. Words written by a gent who grew up near Muscle Shoals, Alabama, to mark the release of his new album, Reunions. I'm beyond elated to speak to him today. Singer-songwriter, a man who wrote the line, I'm wide awake. And I'm in pain. He's a great American. It's Mr. Jason Isbell. Hey, Raj. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, Jason, the pleasure, the honor, the joy is mine. Your sixth album, Reunion, has just come out. Spoiler alert, it's bloody magnificent. What emotions do you feel on the eve of a record release? Something you've labored over, poured your soul into, something intimate is about to be shared with or shunned by the world. <laughs> it's exciting. It's very exciting. You know, there's a little, there's a little pressure. There's always a little pressure, and I spent a lot of years ignoring that and and telling myself that's a stupid thing to feel pressure. You know, when you made some good records and now people are listening, and you have to make another good one. You know, it, if you're feeling pressure, you're just being an asshole. And then I thought, well, <laughs> that means maybe I'm just being an asshole because if I don't tell myself the truth about it, then it's going to get worse. So that was a big trick. That was a big trick for me. David Simon, who created the show The Wire, he came on our show. The Wire is so good. So good. It's so good. Yes, it is. He told us that having created that, having dropped The Wire, he's like, I give zero shits now when I put something out. He did it. You put out Southeastern. You've done it. The Nashville sound. Do you feel that? Oh, just freedom. As Andre 3000 once said, you're only as funky as your last cut. If you focus on the past, your ass will be your has butt. And uh, I love Outcast, And it's true. And I think David Simon is either a better man than I or he is pulling the, the wool over his own eyes. Because even if you do something <laughs> that people love, and even if you do something that people think is great, you know, you got to do it again because you're not done. And, uh, uh, I, I tell you, I felt up until we made this record, I was doing a good job, I thought, of ignoring that pressure and thinking, man, you did it. You did a great job. You're fine. You're good. But then it comes time to do it again. And to me, every record feels like the first record because I think I still have things to say. And I don't want to keep saying the same shit over and over and over. So, I, you know, it was it was stressful. I've tried to make a career out of saying the same shit over and over and over. <laughs> Better following your path, Jason Isbell, than old Rog. But, oh, Outcast Rosa Parks, all-time classic. And as I listened to your new album, I thought a lot about how you see your role as a singer-songwriter storyteller delving into the human condition in a context, you know, a time when we all desire hope amidst confusion and fear. There's so much wisdom in your album. And I love something you told GQ in a recent interview. You were discussing your basic approach to life 
and you boiled it all down to a joke that you have with a friend of yours. You said, we laugh about the similarities between the teaching of Eastern spiritualist Ram Dass and the coaching of Nick Saban of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yeah. Roll Tide. It's always, you said, about the process. You're playing the game, not the opponent. You're doing the work in order to do the work. Now, Jason, you might be one of the very few people who understand the work of one of the greatest spiritual leaders in the world and the other bloke, Ram Dass. So <laughs> for the rest of us, can you enlighten? It's more about communicating with yourself. If you teach yourself to be rewarded by the process itself, then I, I think you're going to have a better life. And, you know, right now, everybody is stuck in this sort of loop. You know, the lucky ones, the lucky ones of us are stuck in this loop where we get up in the morning and we do pretty much the same thing every day. We can't go anywhere. We can't be around other people. We can't give people hugs. We can't, you know, it's a weird time. But for me, I feel like coming into this process as a uh, as a recovering drunk was was very, very beneficial for me. Because I have a system and I have a method and it helps me to do the same things over and over in a way that's almost ritual. And I still, I get everything I need out of that. You know, I get up in the morning, I go about my business the same way that I did yesterday. And, and then at the end of the day, I feel fulfilled. Structure, ritual, rhythm. It is. Words to live by. You've also said... And this is fascinating to me. The more you read, the better you are at writing. You can escape Mm -hmm. through the written word. You said no matter what you're writing, writing is thinking. I mean, reading Mm -hmm. is nourishment for that thinking. Is that your your understanding? Very much so. And, you know, and it also like, I think watching a great show, watching a great movie, listening to other songwriters, I think it all goes into the same pot you know like we talked about by david simon about the wire i saw michael williams omar i saw him walking down the sidewalk in new york one day and um he walked past me on the sidewalk he looked like the nicest guy in the world and and i have heard since from mutual friends he's a super nice guy but i could not talk to him i couldn't speak to him because i was terrified of omar from the wire. And then I, I waited, I walked around the block, I saw him again. There he stood. And I was like, man, go up and say hi to this guy. You love this guy. <laughs> and I couldn't do it because I was so afraid of Omar from the wire. I, you know, I think that when something affects you, a piece of fiction or a piece of art affects you in that way, whether it's a song or an acting performance, I think it all comes from awareness. The person who created that was somebody who was paying really close attention to the details. And, you know, when David Simon came up with that character, it worked so well because it was different from any other like bad guy yes. we have ever seen. Yes. And that those little details made him so much more terrifying and personalized than anything else. I mean, I, I love that you were afraid to speak to Omar. We all need to have ultimately the confidence of Kennard in the corner <laughs> store. You come at the king, you best not miss. You best not. But I love you thinking about details because understanding your creative rules You've talked often about writing carefully. Worry about the little things. I love mm-hmm. this Jason Isbell quote. What keeps me up at night is stuff like the consistency of pronouns. You are a self-professed <laughs> grammarian. You've said, my dad, as much as I love him. What does he have on his door? 
Oh yeah, the apostrophe's in the wrong place, man. He has the sign saying the Isbells. The Isbells, like like Isbell apostrophe S. And <laughs> on one level, I'm cool with it because that house does belong to the Isbell. Yes. If you want to call my father the Isbell, then that would be his house. Possessive singular. But he did not mean that. He meant this is the residence of the Isbells plural. <laughs> So there shouldn't be an apostrophe anywhere. If you're oh. going to put one there, you should put it at the end after the S so your wife knows that it's her house too. Yeah, I mean, you, you've said I haven't strangled him yet, which I also love. But is, <laughs> it, is, is, that, is that obsession indicative of the everything matters all the time approach to your work that you bring? I think so. I enjoy those little challenges, like trying to trying to make sure that that the the narrative art stays like out of the way it stays out of the way i don't want people to know they're listening to a song and i feel like when the song works then you forget you're listening to a song you forget you're watching a movie you know you forget you're reading a book you're just having an experience the world needs more of that right now jason is not Man, what really what drives me crazy if I'm if I'm watching something or listening or reading, I'll stop when I realize that I'm watching a show. Yes. It's like, oh, this show just reminded me that it's not real. I'm going to turn it off now. I want the magic to be hidden. And to do that, you gotta you gotta dot every I and cross every T. Not every work of art can be the Tiger King. It's true. You forget watching the Tiger King that you're watching a show. You totally forget that. You are so fully immersed in the Tiger King. And it's not a great piece of art. It's a car wreck. But it is, you know, you forget you're, you're driving when you watch somebody else have a car wreck. And then you might have a car wreck yourself. It works the same way. It's just you got to it, hide the magic. You got to hide it. There's a little bit of bull Joe exotic in me. But I, re- <laughs> I listen to your lyrics, the details, like those of your late great friend John Prine. I mean, you've talked about the art of great songwriting and you say over and over again, the key is observation, to resist the impulse to tune out the world. That's your words. You've said you've got to make sure you're not numbing yourself, not dulling yourself. And as you get older, things get harder physically and emotionally. You stop paying attention to what's going on around you. There's a, there's a song in your new album, What Have I Done to Help? Now the world's on fire. We just climb higher till we're no longer bothered by smoke and sound. Good people suffer and the heart gets tougher, nothing given, nothing found. That's you encouraging your mm. listeners to resist the urge to shut out the world, to be more connected, involved, compassionate. Yeah, and encouraging myself to do the same, you know. It's easier to, 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 to set an example than it is to tell anybody what to do. And I need to hear that stuff, you know. I write a song like that, I know I'm going to have to sing it a thousand times. I might as well write something that's going to do me some good, give myself some decent advice, you know. You've said, talking about the advice to yourself, my job is pushing myself to be more honest in a certain way, that you can be very honest without telling the truth, at least in art. That's what art is. I love this part, being honest while simultaneously making a bunch of shit up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and, you know, the honesty of the emotion, it doesn't limit the imagination. That was something that John Prine knew as well as anybody. He was a silly, ridiculous, goofy person at heart. And he was he kept that kind of childlike thing 
you know, for his whole life. The last time I saw him, he's making ridiculous, goofy ass jokes <laughs> and thinking about things that nobody else would think about. But it all had this this honesty to it, you know. And even when he's talking about, you know, what Dylan called his Midwestern mind trips, you know, there's still something in there that's very Midwestern, that's very rooted, that's very like humble of spirit, very, very honest. And even if he goes to fucking psychedelic town it's still you feel like you're riding on a spaceship with a farmer yes yes yeah when i read that i thought matthew mcconaughey just came on our show and he gave us he gave us the saying he said a story can be quote more truthful than the truth yeah no doubt which i think about a lot the storyteller's in control of the camera you know and that's the trick man it's like you you can you can do a lot more about perspective controlling the perspective what did i see my my daughter's got this book she's four years old and there's this book called they all saw a cat and it's amazing because every page is just a different animal's perspective like how the cat looked to the mouse the cat looked fucking terrifying to the hawk the cat looked like food but everybody saw the same cat in a completely different way I am a mouse, Jason Isbell. I am a mouse. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Part of his perspective. But you're also a master of structure. And I'm really fascinated. You said, you know, you grew up in Alabama, a lot of Pentecostal old-timey music, but that you learned so much from the music you cut your teeth on. 1980s radio, Prince, mm-hmm. Crowded House, Amy Mann until Tuesday, and the mighty, mighty Colin Hay of Men at Work. Yeah. And I love all of them, but it is astonishing to me to link their sound to you. But you said that really appealed to me when I was young. I loved how those songs all fit together. Can you explain? Because I love the idea of Fall at Your Feet or Down Under, traveling in a fried out combi on a hippie trailhead <laughs> full of zombie, just shaping the Nashville sound. <laughs> well, you know, first of all, those songs were deceptively brilliant. And Colin Hay is really, really good at that. You know, uh, Overkill is this, that's a serious song. That's got he's talking about some serious psychological shit. He's talking about obsession, about going down the rabbit hole, about you know how how depression causes you to just like become insane by zoning in on one particular thing and riding it until you're nuts, you know, but it's a pop song and it's beautiful. And there's a saxophone solo and it's just amazing. And so many of those songs did that. Like voices carry the big till Tuesday. Hit. Fantastic album. It's so good. It's about an abusive relationship and you don't realize it unless you take the lyrics apart. And, you know, I was a little kid when this was happening. So I was thinking, man, that, that lady's voice is beautiful. Oh my God. Me too. Yeah. And years later you go back and you read the words and you're like, Holy shit. She's having a hard time in the song. This dude is really not treating her like you should treat a person. I love that about pop songs in the eighties. I loved it. I got that album till Tuesday, the same day as I got the Hooters Nervous Night. Oh, ah, the Hooters. Two giant, underappreciated songs. But my God, now I'm going to listen to I Can't Get to Sleep. I think about the implications of diving in too deep and possibly the complications. Those are almost Jason Isbell level lyrics by Men at Work now in my mind. They're heavy lyrics. And there's also like a, a method to the, the singing, the production, the delivery of that song. He starts it out an octave down. He sings the whole song an octave low, and then he goes up all the way up, 
you know, same notes, but an octave higher. And I think there's more to it than just Colin trying to show off his vocal range, which was formidable. The guy can sing for real. But when he goes up that extra octave, the tension like just ratchets up and you're like, this guy is panicking. He is really panicking now. It's so good. And it was a pop song in the 80s. Everybody writes off 80s pop and, and it's like, you know, whatever I'm going to write is going to sound like it came from the South and from the country in a certain way. Mm -hmm. That's something I can't, I can't get away from that. If I fight it, I'm just going to confuse myself and my listeners. So I go with it. But then when you, when you put that into like the blender that contains all these pieces of really complicated, beautiful pop songs from the eighties, it starts to sound a little bit more like, like the music that I make. Oh, Jason, I've got to say, you say it loud, say it proud, 1980s music is music of the struggle, and your music yeah. also comes from living the struggle. You know, there was a song in your stint as a prodigy guitarist with Drive-By Truckers that came before your solo success, Goddamn Lonely Love, about the heartbreaking loneliness that is part and parcel of love, is one of the three saddest songs I've ever heard. You are the J.K. Rowling of rueful detail. I mean, you have lived the life of struggle, of dark times, sobriety, into fatherhood. What I admire about you, one of many things, your ability to slip in and out of revisiting the spectres of past lives. Is it possible, though, to put those spectres down truly when you revisit them night after night after night on stage? Well, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. And for a long time there, I didn't think too highly of my former self, you know. And and for the first few years after I got sober, I got my life together. I would sing those old songs, and I would I would resist the urge to go back to those days and remember that stuff because I was pretty pissed at that guy still, and I had to be to uh, keep from risking turning back into that guy. You know, but finally, in the last couple of years, after eight years of sobriety and a few years of therapy, I came to a point where I'm like, you know, I think I'm ready to go back and forgive that dude and actually kind of come to terms with that person's uh, positive characteristics. That was a big thing for me. Big. Oh, it's, a, it's a massive thing for any human being. But are you ever like, you know, today, I just want to write a broad anonymous upbeat song you know james taylor <laughs> wrote fire and rain and after a while he was like sod it i'm gonna write shower the people with love <laughs> yeah i mean sometimes and 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 then usually i try it and i get about halfway through and i realize that this is shit and uh <laughs> you know i could never be acdc so i give up and just go back to playing the guitar um, <laughs> I can't do the happy boneheaded stuff and I've tried so many times maybe one day maybe after enough brain cells die off and I stop worrying so much about being myself I'll be able to just write a straight up rocks maybe just do the cover of Men at Work down under that's it just some covers just slowly 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 just some covers borrow other people's happiness yeah there's, there's so many themes that you explore that I do admire often about a bloke growing up in Alabama, trying to understand the idea of what it means to be a man. I said at the top, your lyric that I think about all the bloody time, I used to want to be a real man. I don't know what that even means in Hope the High Road. Another haunting line, those 5A bastards run a shallow cross. It's a boy's last dream and a man's first loss in Speed Trap Town. These lyrics sound so ridiculous in my English accent. 
No, they're good. They're good. I mean, that's almost how universal you, you speak to people, that they mean so much to me. But you've said the idea of growing up in the South and being a man, it's an interesting thing. There's a lot of masculinity involved with hunting, fishing, playing sports that rural people take pride in. But at the same time, I grew up really not wanting to hate anybody. How has your idea of manhood evolved? I and mean, what sparked that evolution? Well, the people that I, I grew up around, um, you know, they, they were taught to be strong above all else. And they were taught a way to be strong that didn't actually serve me all that well once I grew up and got out in the world. You know, I came into the world with a set of tools uh, that weren't what I needed for what I was trying to build, you know, and it took me a long time to figure out that, you know, speaking out loud to other people about what's on your mind, actually talking about your mental state, talking about like happiness and maturity and trying to be open with folks does not mean you're less of a man or less of a person. It's actually really hard to do if you've never done it before. It's harder than shooting an animal. You know, I've done both of those things. And it was much easier for me as a 12 year old kid for my dad to talk me into shooting a a defenseless animal than it was for me as a 35-year-old man to tell my wife what was really on my fucking mind. That was so much harder. It's true. And that, being able to do that, particularly in this moment when so many of us are welling up with feelings that are deeply emotional and inarticulate, Mm. to make them articulate, it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually, to me, the ultimate sign of strength. It's the hardest thing to do. And, And I know that, like, I don't have a lot of personal experience with, with clinical depression, but, but I've been very close to a lot of people who have for a lot of years. And to me, it seems like, you know, one of the tricks that depression pulls is telling you that you're burdening other people with your problems. And that's one of its really masterful tricks. You know, if you tell somebody about this, they're going to look at you as weak and they're going to feel like you have put some, some pressure on them. You made their life harder. And that's just not the truth. It's not the truth. You care about somebody, you want them to be happy. Everybody's happy. Everything's good. But it doesn't happen if you keep that shit inside. Oh, Jason, that that is the truest word that's been said on this show, particularly now, dear listeners. A segue. We're all experiencing highs. We're all experiencing lows. The most important thing is not to keep those lows inside. If you're feeling them as you're listening, let them out. Find some way to articulate them. Please do. You've just released your sixth album, with the 400 unit reunions, an album filled with tales of lost friends and other melancholy memories. You've said almost every song has a ghost, like a literal ghost. And mm. I start thinking, what is a ghost? Usually it's not a stranger. In the ghost stories, they actually mean something. It's something that you've known in your past. So you are in a way reuniting with that person. Jason, the older you get, do you feel more ghosts? For sure, for sure. Without a doubt, probably because I'm just paying more attention, you know, and I'm thinking more about those times and I'm learning things that honestly, I probably should have learned 20 or 30 years ago. Sometimes it takes like a ghost from your past to come back and say, hey, here's something you missed about me or here's something you missed about yourself when I was still in your life. You know, it took me a long time to really see relationship partners as as complete equals like I thought that I was treating them 
as an equal. I thought that I was viewing them as equal to myself, but in a lot of ways, you know, when I was younger, the, the people I was in, in like romantic relationships with girlfriends, wives, whatever, they were in, in my mind, uh, part of my story. And it took me a long time and a lot of revisits, you know, from the, the memories of those people to think, you know, I wasn't really giving that person the same respect that I was giving myself and my own narrative, my own story back then. You know, one thing that there's a song on the new record, um, St. Peter's Autograph, that's about trying to allow my wife to grieve and not get in her way by being, you know, a, a jealous oaf, basically. It's like that whole song is me explaining to myself, you know, and to her that, that what I need to do here is let you feel your feeling, let you feel the loss, let you feel the grief and not make it about me. And that's, that's the whole song. Don't, it's not about me. It doesn't have anything to do with me. It's not a threat to me that, that my wife is sad over somebody that she's lost. You know, it, it was a huge breakthrough for me to realize that huge. There's another track on your new album, Be Afraid. Mm. A call to action for artists to use voices to inspire change. We don't take requests. We don't shut up and sing. Tell the truth enough and you'll find it rhymes with everything. I mean, we are living in a shut up and sing, stick to sports world. One of your quotes I love, I'll never lose sleep over not selling more records, but I'll definitely lose sleep over keeping my mouth shut. I mean, the great Mm. poet W.H. Auden said, all a poet can do is warn. What can an American singer-songwriter do, Jason? Well, for me to be able to sleep at night, I have to look at the position that I'm in as a very privileged position. You know, I feel like the talent that I had as a musician when I was growing up was luck. I was lucky enough to be talented at these things and to love making music enough to get good at it. And because of that, people started listening to me. And there are a lot of people who never get listened to. And their perspective is never heard. And for me to be able to go to sleep at night, I have to at least do something on their behalf. And, you know, the, the, the more afraid you are to say those things out loud, the more they need to be said. A quote, if I got a tattoo that I would get tattooed on me is one of yours. One of my beliefs is that I have to talk about my beliefs. I and mean, one of those careers mm. that you talked about that was lived both in shadow, then in spotlight, is a man the world has recently lost, the great John Prine, a dear friend of yours. You know, we've asked every guest on Wednesday to finish with a text that gives them hope. And I read your tribute to John in the New York Times when he passed. Listeners, please Google it, read it, savour it. You wrote about hearing Angel from Montgomery for the first time. And you wrote, I remember hearing the 1971 recording of this song and thinking, oh, no, you're not. Yeah. And then a light bulb went on and you realize songwriting allows you to be anybody you want to be so long as you get the details right. And John Prine always got the details right. Sometimes it seemed like he had a window he climbed right through. John had the cleanest mirror of anyone I have ever known. When I read that, Jason, it sounded like you were not just talking about the song, but about John Prine at large, but also about yourself, detail oriented, paying attention to everything around you. And that there's few things more emotionally powerful than when a musician gets that all right. It's something I work on all the time. And, and you know, I try to live in the way that John did. You know, he, uh, 
um, he never dismissed anybody. He never dismissed anybody's story. He never saw it because he had become a successful songwriter and musician that he was above anybody else. And he saw the, the poignancy and the weight in everybody's everyday stories. And, you know, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but, you know, he's not here to argue with me anymore. So I will say that I felt like John thought there was the, the same amount of value in somebody's everyday life you know, somebody that you never hear about, somebody that never does anything quote unquote important, you know, there's the same value in their life as there is in ours or in, in the president's or in a religious leaders. We're, we're all of the same value and, and there's, there's stuff to be learned from all of us. So Jason, make me an angel that flies from Montgomery. Make me a poster of an old rodeo. Just give me one thing that I can hold on to, to believe in this living is just a hard way to go. What's the meaning of those lines to you? Well, you know, I, I have to admit, I have a little more insight to, on those lines than probably most people do. One time my wife and I were riding around with John and his wife Fiona in Ireland, and it was just the four of us in the car. And uh, my wife was out opening some shows for John and I came out just to hang out with him and ride around and, and, and play music. And, and John started talking and he didn't talk a whole lot about those songs, uh, about the meanings of them. He didn't like to talk about that in interviews or anything, but he started talking and we just started listening. And at one point he said, I think Angel from Montgomery was, was about my mother. Now that I think about it, you know, and I looked at my wife and I, both of our jaws fell open because we were like, I can't believe he's saying this and nobody's ever heard him say anything like this before, you know? And even his wife was like, Oh really, John, that's it. You know? And I was like, are you telling me that he's never told anybody? <laughs> um, but you know, to me, it means that to be a songwriter and to be an artist, you have to have the ability to assume somebody else's position and do that as completely as you can without making assumptions on their behalf. So you have to be able to empathize with them to the point that is rational. And John knew how that lady felt as much as he had to write about it, you know, and he didn't go past that line. He didn't hmm. start assuming her in, in, in intentions. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't go out of the way to like put words in her mouth. He just described the scene and the way the woman felt. And uh, yeah, he was a master of that, really. Jason, those are not just words for songwriting. That approach are words to live by. Jason Isbell, mm. Reunions is available now in all good record shops. Support those record shops. Please, please do. We need them. And you are a beautiful gent. Thank you so much, Raj. I've enjoyed talking with you, man. Oh, when you're in New York, when we're through this, and we will be through this, we're going to have you mm -hmm. come into the studio. I'll say to you, courage. I would love it.